Hello, welcome to Philosophy Gets Schooled. This is the short episode on perception as a source of knowledge, or what's often referred to as perceptual knowledge. My name is Simon Kirchin. I am a philosopher based at the University of Kent. Elsewhere on the Philosophy Gets Schooled uh, website and out there in Podland, you can get the detailed, lengthy discussion on perceptual knowledge, where I talk through the topic in detail with two teachers, Michael Lacewing and Dan McKee. Uh, but this is the short episode where I'm just going to take you through the topic in brief. Um, perceptual knowledge is one of the big topics in one of the big areas of philosophy. Uh, and that big area is called epistemology. And epistemology has to do with how we can know things about the world. Can we know things? Should we be skeptics about everything and doubt everything? Even if we can know things, how, how might we define what knowledge is? And assuming we can know things and we have an idea of what knowledge is, well, what forms of knowledge might there be? Um, we might hear from other people and believe their testimony. Well, that's testimonial knowledge. Uh, this podcast is all about perceptual knowledge. So it's about getting knowledge uh, from our senses, from our perceptions. Uh, just to um, give you a sense of knowledge, then um, knowledge is often defined using the tripartite theory, three parts. Knowledge is often defined as justified true belief. So we have beliefs, um, and they might be normally everyday beliefs. That's what we're talking about when we're talking about beliefs. So you might think we're thinking about political beliefs or religious beliefs, some big ideals about how we want the world to be organised or how we think the world is organised. And those are the sort of beliefs that we're interested in. We're also interested in lots of everyday beliefs, such as um, the belief that uh, there's a microphone in front of me, or there's a laptop in front of me, or there's a wall in front of me. And we hope those beliefs, if they're going to be knowledge, pieces of knowledge, items of knowledge, we those beliefs have to be true. You can't know things and have false beliefs. And they need to be justified in some way. There needs to be reasons to have them. There's a different episode on the tripartite definition and justified true belief, but that's a different episode. So knowledge, epistemology are really big topics, and it appears on all sorts of uh, specifications that you might be studying, as does perceptual knowledge. So perceptual knowledge is explicitly named in the AQA philosophy specification. It's also part of the IB uh, work as well in philosophy and epistemology. But also if you're studying any of the main specifications regarding religious studies, so it might be OCR, Edexcel, Educas, um, then um, there's lots of epistemic, uh, epistemological topics there. And if you're studying Scottish hires, you'd be focusing on Descartes and Hume, but they are very interested in epistemology. In fact, a lot of what they're discussing is uh, epistemology and indeed specifically perceptual knowledge. So it's something that everyone needs to be aware of. What about that word perception? What do we mean here? Well, often we mean things that we're perceiving, and that word will typically lend itself towards sight examples. So again, uh, I might be uh, looking and seeing a microphone and a laptop and a wall, but it also encompasses other perceptions, other senses as well. And so there's the traditional five senses, sight, sound, taste, smell, and touch. So I 
think that I'm touching the table right now as I'm leaning on it and talking into the microphone. I hope I'm going to be tasting my lunch later on and smelling it and so on and so forth. Um, there is, of course, some very interesting scientific and philosophical work going on about whether we have more than five senses, uh, but that's a different sort of podcast. Let's just stick to the idea that we're just five. Okay, so in perceptual knowledge, there's a big story. And as I mentioned in the discussion with Michael and Dan, um, a lot of the philosophical theories that we're thinking about, these classic theories, were actually developed alongside and as part of the rise of modern European Western science, but obviously has implications for other parts of the world. And indeed, um, a lot of the topics we're thinking about in term, terms of perceptual knowledge, they uh, are thought about in all sorts of cultures. But what's very interesting is that they were formed as part of uh, consistent with the rise of modern rise of modern science, just as we might, as philosophers, be thinking about there being more than five senses because of some interesting scientific discoveries that are going on right now. And so across a period of about 300, 350 years, these big uh, stances about perceptual knowledge were developed alongside um, thoughts about science. And indeed, many of the people that we study across these specifications and many other people that we're not studying part of these specifications, but you might study if you come to university, might be labelled as philosophers, but they um, didn't have you know, university jobs in philosophy or anything like that. They were just interested people and often they were themselves doing various scientific experiments. Okay, so let's get to it then. So there's three big stances or positions um, that we typically study, at least initially, when we're thinking about perceptual knowledge, certainly uh, we're thinking about regarding A-levels, IB and, and elsewhere. And those three big stances or positions are called direct realism, indirect realism and idealism, which is often associated with a figure called George Bishop George Berkeley. OK, so what's the idea of direct realism? This is the basic idea. Um, there's two parts. Let's think about the realism bit first. So the realism bit is there really are things in the external world. Okay, in a way, it's kind of part of metaphysics, which is another big area of philosophy. So you say, yeah, there really are tables and microphones, and there really is my lunch out there in the world in a fridge somewhere that I can go and get later. Really exists. And the direct bit is referring to my perceptions of it. So I can see the microphone, I can um, hear other people speaking, I can taste my lunch, and I really am interacting directly with these objects, these people. They really exist, these people, these microphones, these sandwiches, they really exist, and I'm getting perceptions directly of these things. And that's a kind of common sense view, right? But then philosophers who are um, sometimes cl too clever for their own good <laughs> start thinking and worrying about this because, yeah, most of the time, many times I can uh, look at my laptop or look at my microphone and I can say, yes, I, you know, I'm seeing them, I interact with them, and it's all going well. But right now, also on my table, there's a glass of water. I could get a straw. I could put the, the straw in the glass of water, and then the straw looks slightly kinked, slightly bent. So my perception of the straw is not quite 
as the straw is. And we've got loads of examples like that all the time. Loads of everyday illusions where my senses are deceiving me. So if you know anything about Descartes' meditations, if you're a Scottish higher student and studying that, you'll be familiar with that phrase. And, and Descartes' starting point in the meditations is method of doubt. It's a fairly familiar idea. Sometimes our senses deceive me. Sometimes I hear things that aren't quite there. You might be listening to a song and you hear something in it, but actually you listen to it again and it's not there. All sorts of sight problems, all sorts of uh, smell problems and so on and so forth. Our senses deceive, deceive us all the time. And what they're deceiving us about is how the world in fact is. So the question might be, oh, well, perhaps I'm not interacting directly with the object, what's going on there? And there are other sorts of issues here around um, time lags and so on and so forth. And indeed, um, perceptual variation, we talk about this problem. Um, so I might see the table from one angle and you see it from a slightly different angle. Perhaps it's a rectangular table, at least that's what we say, but I don't quite see a, a rectangle and you don't quite see a rectangle. And the thing that you see from your position looking at the table is not quite the same shape that I literally see from my angle. What's going on? There's also some very interesting things we do about hallucinations. So hallucinations are different from illusions because we're assuming that there's an object there. It's just that we're getting kind of some weird senses, some weird perceptions of it. What happens to hallucinations where there isn't an object at all in the first place? How are we going to solve that? Well, Dan, Michael and I talk through all these problems for direct realism. And we come to the view that perhaps we shouldn't be direct realists at all, or at least there's some reasons to, to kind of start doubting. And then we move on to the second main position, which is referred to as indirect realism. So again, that realism part, the position says there really are things in the world, there really is a microphone and a laptop and a lunch, there really are people, but we are, and we are experiencing them, but we're experiencing them indirectly. We don't experience the objects themselves. The only thing we're aware of are the sense data, are the perceptions, the information coming from these objects. So whereas direct realism says we interact, interact directly with the object, indirect realism says what the only thing we're aware of are the perceptions, or what's often referred to, word I've used already, the sense data of the objects. But we're realists, we still think these objects exist. But then we're introducing a kind of skepticism, right? So how do we know that there really are objects that are causing the sense state, that are causing our perceptions? That's a, that's a big issue. We've now got an intermediary. Well, how do we know that the thing we're assuming in the first place exists? How do we know that it is similar to and alike our perceptions as well? So again, Michael, Dan and I talk our way through all of that. It's very, very hard. And... Then that brings us to our third main position, which is idealism. And as I say, it's often associated uh, with the figure of Bishop George Barclay. Um, and idealism basically says, well, there's kind of, kind of a number of hypotheses, right? So you've got all these perceptions, all these sense data, and you're assuming that there really is an external world causing them. Whereas I'm saying the only thing you can really know is based on your perceptions. That's the idealism bit. Um, so you've got a different view of a table and you've got a different view of a table and you've got a different view of a table and I've got a different view of a table and we're assuming there's a table there. Why don't we just 
get rid of the assumption that there is any table, or at least that the table we think is the table is a material object that's causing all of these things. Perhaps the only thing we can know, in fact, are our perceptions. And that, of course, seems a bit of a strange view when you hear it first of all, but Barclay's got some good arguments, and really he's trying to push on from indirect realism, uh, responding to various people, including someone that I haven't mentioned so, so far, John Locke. Um, and Barclay says, look, um, what reason have we to believe this? Of course, you say, well, hang on, how do we know that um, it's, well, it seems that we've all got some perceptions of the table and we're exchanging views and, and, and I'm kind of trusting people that they are seeing something that's kind of seems to be similar to my perception because of how we're talking about it and how we're, how we're interacting with them. And I'm, I'm assuming they exist, these people. And so Barclay has to have something in mind that acts as a kind of guarantor of all of the ideas being united in some way. And for Barclay, that's God. Although interestingly, it's not as if, well, there's different interpretations of Barclay's position and his argument. So one might say it's not as if um, God is acting uh, as the kind of big justification or anything, but actually some people think of this as a proof of God or something like a proof of God or an inference, inference the best explanation for Barclay, that if we want to maintain, as we should maintain, that everyone is having similar perceptions, then the person who guarantees that they are similar perceptions has to be a different figure outside of it all, and that figure's God. Okay, so that was a big, quick run through of some uh, important uh, positions in epistemology and in perceptual knowledge. Direct realism, indirect realism, idealism. There are problems with all of them. And the problems with some are reflected in the motivations of the other positions. And Michael, Dan and I talk our way through that as well. But I hope that gives you a brief introduction to epistemology, into perceptual knowledge, and these three positions that you can study um, in more depth and listen to in more depth on the big episode in Philosophy Gets Schooled.